0: We may think that Jews who fled Nazi persecution would want nothing to do with their German homeland, and certainly some didn't. But many others only waited for their experiences, to be acknowledged by their old hometowns and for the opportunity to visit them. Indeed, thousands were invited to visit numerous German cities starting only 15 years after the war. However, These invitation initiatives have received little attention until now. How were these visits organized? What was being discussed by hosts and guests and what was left unspoken? And what were the lasting effects on the visitors as well as on the hosts? Hi, and welcome to Research Bites, the podcast of the Martin Buber Society of Fellows. In each episode, we feature innovative research in the humanities and the social sciences by one of our fellows. Let us turn to Dr. Amir Engel, who is interviewing Dr. Lina Niku, a historian and cultural anthropologist who works on memory culture, heritage tourism and oral history.
1: My name is Amir Engel, I teach at the Department of German Language and Literature at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. Today I'm joined by Lina Niku, who is a historian and a cultural anthropologist at the Martin Buber Society of Fellows, also in Jerusalem. I'm very excited to speak to her today about her recently published book, came out with Neopheles in Germany. The English translation of the title is Visits to the Old Hometown invitation programs for former victims of National Socialism to Munich, Frankfurt am Main, and Berlin. Lina, congratulations on the book. Please tell us a little bit about yourself and where do you come from. Maybe say a few words about how you became interested in this project.
2: I actually grew up and studied in Hamburg and already in my fourth semester at university, I took one of the most influential classes uh, of my whole studies. It was a class about the method of oral history with Dr. Linda Appel. Uh, She was then and she still is the director of an interview archive in Hamburg at the Research Center for Contemporary History. The archive is called Workshop of Memory. I was immediately fascinated by how talking with people about their past was transmitting history in a much more immediate and emotional way than written sources ever could, at least that's the case for me. And this is why as a student already, I started to work at this archive, mostly in this job. I did archival work, but uh, for the archive, I also interviewed people about uh, their past. Almost all interviews I did were with people from abroad who were persecuted during National Socialism and um, they were originally from Hamburg and they were invited by the city for one week visit. These invitations were part of a program uh, which the city started in the early 80s, um, in which they invited their former citizens um, from abroad to come um, for a visit. Most of the guests were Jewish and they had lived in Hamburg before they fled or before they had been deported. And the invitations of the cities included travel costs, accommodation, a very good hotel, as well as a week-long program of tours, meetings and receptions. So through this work at the archive, I got to know the invitation programs and from Linda Apple, I learned that Surprisingly, there had been done very, very little research about these initiatives. And in the end, the work at the Archive, as well as these interviews, really determined the following 15 years of my academic career. I wrote my master thesis about the invitation program of the city of Hamburg, which was actually also published. And in my book now, um, I studied how the cities of Munich, Frankfurt and Berlin invited their former citizens. Um, in the end, actually, I did not write much about the interviews, as I would have liked, but I rather focused on the interactions between the cities and the former citizens in the letters, which uh, are found in the archives, and on the institutional history of these programs.
1: So who was actually invited to these programs?
2: It is important to note that most of these programs were actually implicitly or so explicitly directed at Jewish former citizens of these cities. But officially... The contacts and invitations were meant for former victims of national socialism who were persecuted because of their race, quote-unquote. And some of cities also added that they're because of their political belief, but um, or that was also went back um, together. But um, some of the people who were invited were, of course, not Jewish after Jewish law, or they did not understand themselves as being Jewish. But... These concerns were actually not raised so much in the interaction in the letters between the cities and the and their former citizens. What was more important for the cities, though, was that these people whom they invited were born in the city, or that they lived most of their life before their, they were they fled or before they were deported in these cities. Anyway, the cities normally did not ask for documents from them to prove this but they checked sometimes the informations later
1: by and large uh, the people who were invited and these programs were intended for a jewish uh, people who were per- persecuted during nazi time and fled and now invited back
2: exactly from these cities explicitly i mean yeah it was it was most of them even said that it was directed at Jewish former citizens of the city of Berlin, Munich, or Frankfurt.
1: And what happened in these visits? What was the schedule like?
2: Normally, the visits lasted one or two weeks. Some cities issued invitations for individuals together with their spouses, like Munich, for example. And in these cases, the guests were officially welcomed by the mayor or one of his representatives, and they got tickets for a city tour as well as a cultural event. Event, But they were left to their own devices most of the time. Other cities like Frankfurt and Berlin also invited individuals, but they mostly welcomed often very large groups of more than 100 people. Some of these groups were even welcomed on the tarmac of the city's airport as official guests of the cities. And a reception at the city hall was also part of this programs. Besides, they did city tours and went to the opera or the theater, and they stayed in the most representative hotel of the city. Especially these official groups, of course, left a lasting impression on the guests.
1: So what are we talking about here? What is the size of of these visitation programs? Maybe you could say a word about the number of people invited and the size of the programs and so on.
2: These programs happened all over Germany, at least since the 1980s. At some point there were more than 300 such initiatives and some of these programs are still going on. If you have been extended to the so-called second or third generation, meaning the children or grandchildren of the people who have suffered during National Socialism, are invited back. And to give you an idea about the numbers of people who were invited, between 1969 and 2010, Berlin invited more than 40,000 people. And Frankfurt-on-the-Main, since 1980, invited about 3,500. For Munich, I do not have the current numbers, actually, But from the 60s until the 70s, Munich welcomed more than 590 guests. And this last example actually shows how difficult it is to talk about numbers regarding the number of invitations because most cities did not keep track of their numbers in any consistent way. Uh, All I found about Munich, for example, regarding the numbers of invitations was a handwritten note in the city administration.
1: Let me go back. One second, you said that the programs existed all over Germany. Is this really the case?
2: Yes, that's the case. Um, but in East Germany, they only started in the 90s. There were private contacts between immigrants and their former hometowns in Eastern Germany before, but the official programs um, in East Germany only started when, when uh, after the fall of the war, after the, re- the unification.
1: Interesting. So, but you say that these programs were actually quite popular. Many people came. It was all over Germany, many cities and towns. Why did you decide to concentrate in your work on only these three cities?
2: The idea behind this comparison was actually to write a history of these programs in the Federal Republic along these three examples. And um, I decided to compare the programs in these. Th- three cities in order to show, first of all, how local history is interconnected because the cities informed each other about their actions and the German city council, der Städtetag, they tried to motivate the cities to, initiata- to initiate such programs, but with little success, and that was mostly due to the fact that the cities, at least in the 60s and 70s, were most of the cities tried to um, keep the costs of these contacts as uh, low as possible. And secondly, the comparison shows how local history is, of course, connected to national history, but also how it differs, because these, these cities represent very different developments and show the options and the freedom the cities had to act or not to act um, in different periods in time. Because the establishment of the invitation programs was completely voluntary, so we can see how memory culture actually developed over the decades.
1: So I think now you have to tell us a little bit about this development. How did these programs start? How did they develop?
2: That's one of the reasons I chose to compare these three cities, because these three programs started under very, very different circumstances. Munich was the first big city in Germany establishing such invitations already in 1960. And in this case, local politicians attempted to show how they disapproved of the anti-Semitism, which was all of a sudden, not all of a sudden maybe, but which was uh, very visible again in the late 50s in uh, all over Germany. And they decided to show their disapproval in establishing contact with Israel, actually. That was the main goal. They wanted to to foster relationships with Israel through cultural contacts and visits of students and teachers. And the third measure they took was inviting former citizens of Munich who were persecuted during National Socialism. And initially, they only wanted to invite 10 people a year. And they also didn't pay the travel costs. So that was a huge um, reason why many people couldn't come. But anyway, the numbers, the numbers went up, the numbers of invitations, because there were more and more people coming and asking for invitations. And while Munich established invitations, even if it were just a few and without covering traveling costs, Frankfurt on the Main in 61 decided not to grant invitations but just to get in contact with their former citizens through letters and it's very interesting to see that the um, the city they got many, many replies. Many people wrote and also asked for invitations. But only in 1980, the city finally decided to invite groups. So for two decades, they um, they stayed in contact with their former citizens through letters. And in the six, mid-60s, they had 1,800 addresses in there, like um, people they were in contact with. But this actually only happened when uh, frank when also in germany the public became more interested in the in the past in the national S- socialist past and uh, also other cities issued invitations started invitation programs and last but not least berlin on the other hand stopped the group invitations in 2010, when there were only a few people left to voice interest in, in invitations. And the city had already started at that point their large invitation programs in, program in 69, and it was initiated by different people in Berlin, the US, and Israel, actually. And talking about beginnings, I also want to add that the cities got in contact with their former citizens through ads in German-speaking immigrant newspapers. And many, after these ads were published, many heard from family and friends about uh, these programs and the possibility to be invited.
1: So what was the reaction on the other side? The the ex-immigrants, Jewish prosecuted people, how did they react to these invitation and to these attempts to create contact, come into contact with them from the German cities?
2: The reactions of the former citizens of the cities towards the the contacts as well as the invitations was very, very positive, at least from the ones who actually wrote to the cities, which I am focusing on in my book. I cannot, of course, talk about the people who didn't write because this is why the ads helped to foster these relations, because the people had the freedom to decide to write to get in contact or not. One could even say that the reactions were overwhelming. Berlin, for example, received 14,000 letters within months after they had published their ads about the invitations in these immigrant newspapers all over the world. And this is, a, of course, a very specific example, as in Berlin, there was, before the war, the biggest Jewish community in Germany. But I think that these numbers are symptomatic because they show that there were, at least under the 90s, often way more people interested in being invited than there were invitations granted. Berlin, for example, invited 1,000 people a year but had already received all these letters in the beginning. And then every year they got up to 1,000 more letters asking, more people asking for invitations. And therefore, and this is also something these former citizens noted, that they had to wait often 10 years or more uh, until they finally got an invitation. And that meant that because the city invited the oldest first, (laughs) that even when they were 69 or 70, they... They counted that, okay, I will be invited only when I'm 80. That might be too late for me. And that's also what they wrote to the city. So you can really see how um, the interest was much higher than the, um, the invitations which the cities um, issued. And Berlin was an example where there were a lot of invitations.
1: This is, this is fascinating. It goes against everything I thought. I grew up in Israel thinking that the Israelis and Jews who were prosecuted by the Nazis felt a terrible reaction towards Germany. They wanted nothing to do with Germany. They proclaimed a cherem, a boycott on anything that's coming from Germany. And yet to tell us a completely different story, how, how do you explain this? What, what is the reason you think to this overwhelming positive reaction to invitation coming from German cities and representatives?
2: I would even say that they just waited for the cities to get in contact. They actually waited for Germany to get in contact with them. Um, Not all of them. Like I said, I'm looking at a very specific part within the group of, former victims of national socialism from Germany. But anyway, they really felt this need to be acknowledged, to be acknowledged that what happened was wrong. And that didn't happen neither on a national level and nor on a local level for many, many years. So in 1960, when Frankfurt, but also Munich, both of the c- cities got in contact with their former citizens abroad, they got a lot of letters where the people were actually writing, thank you very much, but... We are in contact with the cities or we are thinking of these cities already for years. And we, they, for example, Frankfurt sent around a book about um, poems and dialect. And one answer was, yes, thank you very much. It's in our library here in, I think, South America. But we are really loving reading these Poems thinking about our time in Frankfurt. So they really felt the need to be acknowledged in their, one could say, local identity. And it's really significant that even on a symbolic level, so even the symbolic reaction saying in Frankfurt, they didn't do much at that time. And all the invitations, they all, all the people who asked to be invited, they got a reply that it's too expensive. <laughs> and nonetheless, the reaction was still positive and they showed understanding for the how the city is behaving. And even the symbolic gesture of getting into contact with them and telling them, please get in contact with us, was enough for them to feel acknowledged. For, not for all of them, of course, but for a huge part. And what they wrote back in all these letters, which I, which I looked at in my book, was like, uh, look, we are... Frankfurters, Berliners, people from, we have Münchner. Or we were, we are, still are. And now finally you, 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 you understand that, you see that.
1: I, I learned from what you say that so many people were excited to come back and take part in this visit program. What, does, what are the long-term effects? How did people, what did people take from these visits 10, 20 years down the road?
2: It's a very interesting question, which I think I can only answer based on the interviews I did with people who participated in these visits. And um, first of all, I have to say it's, of course, very individual. Because on the one hand, there are people who came as individual visitors and they not necessarily um, knew about... Uh, that there were even group visits and they had a very personal experience and they might not have remembered much about what they experienced because it was kind of like a trip um, down their memories, but it wasn't necessarily connected to the programs themselves. And then there are people, like one person I interviewed in the US who participated in such a program in the 70s in Berlin, And even in the 2000s, he remembered very, very detailed what happened during this visit because it really impressed him. And also, he was very much in contact with the city, and he went there often. And other, other, other people told me that this was maybe the first visit they did, but afterwards they kept in contact with the cities. So they came back to Berlin to see friends or just for holiday trips
1: So did you actually take part in any of these programs had you have the chance to visit your city with one of these programs
2: Yes, one can say that was part of my work at the Archive in Hamburg. So uh, for a couple of years, I participated at least in parts of these programs. It was not only me, it was also other people working at the Archive or members of the Jewish community from the city, other people being connected to the Jewish past and present of the city. And um, that was actually really interesting in order to get a feeling how um, these visits... Are and how people act during the these um, invitations? And how do they act? Oh, yeah. I cannot answer this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> no, because it's really, really individual, and it also changed my my look at this change, or my uh, understanding of this changed over the years. So it's a very um, interesting question I think if I now participated in such a program I would have a very very different perspective Um, what was important um I think at the very beginning when I did the first interview, the very first interview in Hamburg, I was in my early 20s and I did not know much about Jewish history or Jewish culture at that time and through the interviews actually I learned about it. Apart from that I started to learn and be more interested in the German side of my family as, as I was asked the question uh, what did your grandparents do during the war pretty early on and didn't really have an answer to, the, to it. Um, so I felt the need to at least ask some more questions to get to know this, um, this history of my family better. But uh, what also intrigued me was the question how the place we are born and where we grew up is influencing and shaping up us as um, I did not grow up in the country where I was born. I was born in Greece, but I grew up in Hamburg. And I have therefore the Greek part of my family with a very different history. So these encounters had a very personal dimension for me on this on several levels. And in the first interview I conducted for the archive, uh, my interview partner told me about his childhood in Hamburg before he was sent on a Kindertransport to Great Britain. And he was moved to tears, and me too, uh, when recounting these pe- positive memories. And this was not what I had expected, actually, when I did this first interview. And it taught me a lot about the trust, first of all, as I experienced as an interviewer, but also about how how much positive and negative memories are interconnected in our lives.
1: As I was reading your book, I was I was thinking the whole time about the fact that we're talking about Germans, the Jews, and the Holocaust, but at the same time, I kept thinking about the fact that to a certain degree, human history is a history of migration. People moved and left places and fled because of war and famine and different stories. This is obviously not the first time, um, it's not the first time in history that people are forced to move, even in great numbers. My question is, what is what is unique about this immigration story for you? And what is special about the nostalgia, maybe, that you are telling through your story?
2: I actually do not think that these mostly positive feelings of nostalgia, which I read in these letters, which were expressed in these letters by um, people from Berlin and Munich and Frankfurt, I don't think that they differ in any way differ in any way from other people's feelings toward the places they immigrated from. Maybe even voluntarily or out of financial needs or maybe also because they were forced... Or- to leave or displaced. In these cases of forced migration and persecution, there's, of course, always an ambivalence ingrained between the suffering which was experienced and happy memories about the childhood and other positive life experiences. And nonetheless, the positive feelings uh, of nostalgia, which many of these people felt and expressed, which the German cities were they were expelled from come, like you said, as a surprise for many people. Often the people who voice such a surprise have or had no personal contact with people who survived the Holocaust and who still wanted to visit Germany. It's also some like a narrative which only slowly changes in the last decades, I would say. And when I talk about my topic in Israel, I often get this reaction. This is also what made it difficult for many of the people who actually wanted these contacts with Germany to express these feelings, especially in Israel, but also in Jewish communities in the US. It's not uh, It wasn't much different there, I would say. And um, the opposite reaction, which I sometimes get, is people who say, ah, yes, my mother, my grandfather, my someone from my family also visited the city. Sometimes on some one of these visits, I met many people who had family in Berlin, and they are remembering these visits through from these these stories about the visits from them. But sometimes also on personal visits, it doesn't it's also showing that the invitation programs are only kind of an expression of a need. Many people. F- felt the need to, or um, many people followed and went to Germany actually on their own, like personally, individually, without being invited, without taking part in such an initiative.
1: I learned from your book that by and large, so Jewish immigrants were very interested to visit their so-called old hometowns, the Heimat in Germany, and actually German officials were very happy to invite them. The visitation seems to have been a great success. So is this indeed your impression too? And if so, can we say that, albeit the dreadful past, all is forgotten and Jews in Germany can live, so to speak, happily ever after?
2: I would say that because all is not forgotten, the connections between Jews and Germany or German Jews and non-Jewish Germans prevails. And I have the impression that the ambivalences and the hard feelings which were not expressed, even less on the German non-Jewish side, and which were not obvious and visible or heard, that they, these, these feelings played a large role in this mutual interest and also in the, these contexts which I analyzed and in the di- dynamics which became apparent in these contexts. Of course, it is difficult to analyze what has not been said, but I think that it also becomes apparent in the extremely positive reactions which I found in the letters and in the focus which was put on these reactions while publicly stressing their ambivalent feelings. And um, because the focus on these hard feelings on the Jewish side is kind of um, taking away the, the interest on the German reactions on what they are actually doing on what the cities actually their actions because in the end they mostly reacted and they didn't act. And apart from that, I, say, I would say that there's special, something special about the group dynamics. I also called them dynamics of success, which I describe in my book, in which I also experienced myself when I po- took part in these groups. When I investigated the example of Berlin, it became clear that the group experience created an atmosphere which asked for a happy ending, one could say. The hosts already expected ambivalent and difficult feelings on the side of the guests, which they, the guests expressed. And when then they were welcomed in the cities and most of the fears weren't realized, they were very, very relieved And that showed in being grateful towards their the the hosts, and the hosts on the other hand were grateful that these people came and that they engaged with them. So everyone waited for a positive experience, and this is most of the time what actually happened. What realized, uh, what was realized then, that it was a positive experience for everyone because everyone was apprehensive, but at the same time was eager to to um, have a a good experience, to have a positive trip. Um, It's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy in the positive sense. And this was also criticized, um, for example, in the 1970s by Israeli journalists on a press conference and much later by the daughter of one participant who came with her mother to Berlin and who said that... Because of the setting, because of this atmosphere of reconciliation, there was no way difficult, hard emotions could could be expressed openly. I'm sure the guests talked about these things either among themselves or also with their family after, but within these programs, it was a very hard place to keep these emotions going, like to 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 say until the end, no, this is difficult for me or not comfortable or not. I'm still angry. And on the German side, there were also politicians, mostly in the early years, who did not welcome these initiatives. And these voices were, however, not heard publicly because already in the 60s, it did not seem appropriate to voice criticism once these initiatives was, were were established, before maybe in uh, behind closed doors, but not um, on a public stage.
1: This is fascinating. So after I uh, read the book, I talked about it with a friend of mine who's a little older, and his parents are both immigrants from Germany. He told me, yes, um, his mother, um, after immigrating to Israel, or to Palestine, first then to Israel, would not speak German, would not read a German book, would not comment on anything that has to do with Germany. His father, on the other hand, stayed all his life a German patriot and went back to visit his old hometown as soon as he could and maintained very close relationship with friends and acquaintances and business partners in Germany until the very end of his life. I think this tells us a little bit about the complex reaction that you also studied in your book.
2: Yes, and it's very important that you say that, that of course there was the other side. There were the people who would never go back to Germany. But even within the same family, as you show, mm. they weren't all on the same side, <laughs> one could say. And some kept these contacts and some neglected them and said, or neglected, they, they refused to go to travel to Germany or to be in contact with anyone German, even. So, these
1: are, of course, much harder to study.
2: Yes, I mean, I, I included some of these voices of disbelief, criticism, rejection, but overall, overall, I still would say, looking at the programs, because of this mutual interest of ex- of positive, um, how you call it, uh, reinforcement, one could even say they were they ended up to be an, a success, and I argue that was mostly not due to the actions of the cities but to the interest of the former citizens abroad who asked the cities to be invited and who initiated these programs sometimes. Some of them even asked to be invited before German cities were even ready to do so. And some never were, actually.
1: Interesting. So your book gives us another perspective, actually, on the quite long uh, list of books that deal with the history of German-Jewish relationship after the Holocaust. Before we end, let me just ask you, what are you working on now?
2: I have decided that after the interviews what were not at the center of my book, what I would have liked, I decided uh, I wanted to focus more on our history in my current project. And besides that, in my teaching, I'm dealing with questions of public history and heritage tourism. And heritage tourism is very much related to the bigger contexts and to the questions which you asked um, and which we which we mentioned earlier. But I feel that all these fields are very much interconnected and also related to my book. Overall, I would say more generally that I'm intrigued by um, how we are influencing history through the stories we tell about the past.
1: Wonderful. Thank you very much, Lina.
2: Thank you.
0: You have been listening to Research Bites, the podcast of the Martin Buber Society of Fellows in the Humanities and Social Sciences. In this podcast, we hope to offer a taste or a bite of the research taking place in our society and the kinds of conversation taking place in its offices, hallways and indeed the kitchen. Additional episodes discussed matters such as the different experience of Muslim and Christian Indonesian tourists to Israel-Palestine and the changes in the way some rare languages in Northeast India express both you and me. Our thanks to Professor Eagle Bonner, who helped produce this episode. Ori is our podcast director and David Goodman is our sound recorder and editor. The Buber Society is a German-Israeli collaboration housed in the Hebrew University and funded by the German Federal Ministry of Education and Research. For more information about the modern Buber Society of Fellows, about this episode and about additional episodes, please visit our website buberfellows.huji.ac.il That's B-U-B-E-R-F-E-L-L-O-W-S dot a u j i dot a c dot i l thank you